Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. talking about God today. You're like, how's that different from every Sunday? <laughs> so we've been going through the series. Uh, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and then for the summer, we're taking a break, and we're going through this series called 101. And the goal of this series is to talk about the basics of the faith in order to give you tools to talk about your faith with others. Okay, I find we just don't know how to talk about God, for instance, we're talking about God today. We don't know how to talk about God with others. And so hopefully by the end of today, you'll have some tools uh, in order to just talk about God with others. And let's take, a, let's take away, for now, let's take away the word evangelism or sharing the gospel. When we hear those words a lot of times, it, like, it, it, it scares us. Like, oh, I, I, I'm not an evangelist. I can't do that at my workplace or in my family. So let's put that aside now and let's just say, how do you talk to God about others? And here's the bottom line. Normally I warm you up to the bottom line, but today I'm just gonna give you the bottom line of the sermon. Um, how you talk about God tells others how you talk to God. So how you talk about God to others is indicative of your relationship with God. It'll tell others how you actually talk to God. You guys following me there? So how you talk about God with people at, at work or your friends or with your pastor or uh, your siblings, it's going to tell people a lot about your relationship with the Father. Do you guys believe that God is good? We just sang that. Do you guys believe that God is loving? We just sang about that. I think we say we believe these things, but we don't actually live like we believe these things a lot of times. So we're gonna talk about that this morning, and you're probably thinking, after Cindy reads this passage in Hosea, you're like, man, if I was gonna to go to a passage on God's goodness, I don't know if I'd go to the Old Testament. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go to the Hebrew Scriptures. So we're gonna talk through that this morning. Um, so we're out of Hosea chapter 11, and we're just gonna go through the passage. So beginning in verse one, uh, he says, when Israel was a child, so actually, let me just say this, this has popped in my head. When I was standing there, we were seeing Good, Good Father. This, and this is kind of weird, okay? So if you're not from, if, it's just kind of weird. So <laughs> just, just follow me. So as we were seeing this, I, was, I, I had my eyes closed and I was just singing and, um, and Troy was saying like, we need to be open-handed. So I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna do that. I'm gonna open my hands and let God pour his love in. And immediately I had this image of, Okay, this is the weird part, of a fetus, okay? Like, a, like if you, like, what you see on a sonogram, you know, like a sonogram picture. And God said in that moment, that's you. Like, not me, like you, that's us. And we're his children. And then all of a sudden, the fetus was in a cage, like bars. And God said, that's what I want to release you from. So that's, that's the image we have for this morning. That's the image that he talks about in Hosea chapter one. He says, 
when Israel was a child, I loved him. So he starts to set out this parental relationship. Israel's my child, the nation of Israel, and I loved him. And he starts out with love, right? Now, this, this passage in Hosea doesn't start with God's holiness, it doesn't start with God's judgment, it doesn't start with God's grace, his goodness, his mercy, it starts with God's love. So, he says, I loved him, and out of Egypt, I called my son, and, and Egypt is this cage. Egypt is bondage. Egypt is where the Israelites were for 400 years. And they were slaves, they were in captivity, they're in bondage. And he says, I called you out of Egypt. And what did he call them to? What, what was he calling Israel to? He was calling them to freedom, he was calling them to land, the promised land, to seed, to blessing, to, do you guys know what the land represents in the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures? It represents God's presence and his rest. And God's calling them to that. He's calling them into his presence and his rest. And so he says, out of Egypt I called my son. And this, this passage is actually applied to Jesus in, in the New Testament. Matthew applies this to Jesus. And he says, this is Jesus, I'm not necessarily fulfilling a prophecy, but this is a reference that applies to him, that Jesus is coming out of Egypt and he's showing us, he's this picture of this new Israel. He's the picture of the new son, the son of God. And so uh, when Jesus was born, he was in Bethlehem, right? They fled to Egypt and they came back to Israel. And so out of Egypt, I called my son. But verse two happens. So that sounds all great, then you get to verse two. The more they were called, the more they went away. So the more God is saying, peace, rest, you can have this, presence, love, all the things that Troy was talking about, the more they went the other way and they kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. You know, we, we tend to, we tend to uh, euphemize idols. So I didn't mispronounce euthanize. Like, uh, like a euphemism, like you guys know what a euphemism is. It's, it's, it's when, like say someone dies and you say, oh, they, they just passed away or they kicked the bucket. It's like we're, yeah, that's, that's actually a poor euphemism. Uh, we're, we're taking, we're applying mild language to something that is more harsh. Uh, you know, something that is a little more, um, yeah, just a little more harsh or, or uncomfortable. So we tend to euphemize idols in our day. We say, oh, our, our idols are success and power and sex. And, and we've taken a, uh, a distinct uh, idol, a personality, and, and we see that in, in the Hebrew scriptures, and we've made it into a desire. And we think, oh, well, everybody wants to be successful. So we're like, why is it so bad? Everybody wants that. So in the church, we're like, yeah, well, we want to be successful too, so let's, let's figure out how to make, make that into a Christian thing. You know, we're sexual beings, right? So of course we're gonna want to have sex. You know, everybody wants to have sex. And we've taken an idol, something that has real power, and we've dumbed it down, we've euphemized it. We've, we've said, we've, we've, we've applied mild language to it. And when, 
the scriptures talk about idols, Paul says two things about idols. He says in 1 Corinthians, idols have no real existence. And he's talking about the statue, the figure, whatever it is. But then just two chapters later, he says, idols are full of demonic power. And the first message we talked about in this series was kingdom. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness and there's the kingdom of light. There's the prince of darkness and there's the prince of peace. And here, when he talks about Baals and idols, he's actually talking about a demonic presence. He's talking about this figure. Yeah, they, they're worshiping this figure, whatever it is. But there's a real power behind it. There's a real power behind success and your desire for it, guys. There's a real power behind sex and power and those idols, money. You know, we think money, oh, everybody needs money. But no, it's e- like there's evil things behind it. And this is, this is what, what Jose is getting at and, and what, what, well, what God is getting at. He's like, the more I called them, the more they went away, the more they ran from me, the more they fled because they kept on sacrificing to these idols. They kept on sacrificing to the Baals. And Baal was this, he was the god of the pantheon of Canaanite gods. He's, he was the, the strong one. He was actually the, the, the sex god. He was the fertility one. And so we see sex and we're like, oh, that's not really an idol. Or we say, oh, okay, maybe it is an idol for some people. Uh, and here he's saying, no, that is the idol. There's a demonic power behind that. And God is saying, I'm just calling you to be with me, but you keep on going away. You keep on fleeing. And in verse three, he says, but it was me who taught you how to walk. He says, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. He's like, I taught you how to walk, and you use your walking to flee me. You use your walking to run away from me, to the other gods, to these other so-called powers, and and you've forsaken me. He says, I took them up by their arms. You see like this, it's very fatherly, right? He's establishing this father-son dynamic here. And Israel is, uh, Israel is actually called, looked at as a, a daughter in Ezekiel. The, the, the more common term for, for Israel is just children. But here's he's establishing a really unique father-son dynamic. And, and he's, he says, I took him up by his arms. Not I carry them. Basically, I put my arms under his, his shoulders and brought him up and taught him how to walk. God walked with us and took steps with us to teach us how to do that. And he says, I did that for Israel. And Ephraim is, is Israel. So it's, Ephraim refers to the, it's a collective name for the 10 tribe, the 10 northern tribes of Israel when the kingdom split. So he says, I, I, I taught this to Ephraim, to Israel. And I walked with them. I took them up by their arms and, and they're just running away from me. And he says, but they did not know that I healed them. Now, if you, you can read that and, and say, God did it in secret over here. Like he healed them over here and they just didn't know. But he's not talking about awareness here. Israel knew that God was their healer. Just read the rest of the Old Testament. Read the Psalms. God is the healer. They're proclaiming it. They're singing those songs like, like we did. We know, we sing God is good. But he's, they sing God is healer. But he says they didn't know that I was the one who healed them. They, at very least, they forgot. At the worst, they just totally said, no, 
We're not going to acknowledge that, and we're going to go our way. We're going to do, do our thing. Does that sound familiar to anybody? To your life? Do you know that God is the one who heals you? Do you know that God is the one who gives you good things? Or do you normally think it's, it's yourself who does it? Or something else? God is saying, I'm the healer. And in Exodus, in Exodus he, he says this to them. He says, just so you guys remember, I'm the one who did this for you. I don't forget that. And then they forget. And God is calling out to you this morning and saying, don't forget you're where you are today because of me, because I taught you how to walk, because I healed you. And you may say right now, oh, well, I have this or I have this and God didn't heal me. You know, so much of our suffering, I've probably said this three times in the past month in a sermon, so much of your unnecessary suffering is a result of you not recognizing what God has given you and of focusing on what you don't have. You just can't recognize what's in front of you. You can't recognize that God has given me this or he's healed me of this or he's, he's uh, done this. Um, you just say, God hasn't done that. He hasn't healed me of that. He's not leading me there. But how about we start to recognize what God has done for us and what he's doing for you and the good things about God. That'll start to change your perception of, of who God is. And most of us, when we talk to other people about God, a lot of us talk to God in, not in, man, he's a good father, but in, yeah, I've been praying for this for a long time. And I don't know. I don't hear from God. I don't know what the deal is. Um, and start, so we're going to start to hopefully change that perspective. And so God is saying here in verse three, they didn't know. They didn't know that I healed them. They rejected me. And then he says in verse four, I led them with cords of kindness, cords of gentleness, with the bands of love. So here we see love come again, uh, kindness, gentleness. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. So when you think about yoke, that's not like egg yolk. It's not like the, the yummy yellow part that we shouldn't eat because it's high cholesterol. This is like, this is an ag agrarian term. This is a farmer mentality. There's, there's a yoke on an oxen, uh, and the yoke was in his mouth, and, and he pulled this thing and the, the plow, and he farmed, farmed the land. And so we just switched metaphors here, father-son, to now we're, we're a bunch of oxen. <laughs> uh, and... But don't take that in the wrong way. <laughs> uh, so he just switched the metaphor here, and, and he says that I've eased the yoke. I've eased it on them. And we have this imagery here that God bends down to us. So he bends down, and he says, in the dirt, in the muck, in the mud, he bends down and he feeds us with an open hand. And have you ever fed a horse? You don't feed a horse like this, right? with a closed hand, he'll bite your fingers off. <laughs> you, which we tend to bite God's hand a lot of times, right? Uh, I just thought of that, that's good. <laughs> Somebody tweet that right now. So, we, we, we feed, I was gonna say we feed God. 
God feeds us with an open hand, right? And, and, and there's this awesome picture of God bending down in the dirt to do so. And he bends down and he feeds us. He doesn't just let us loose in the field and say, fend for yourselves. And a lot of us, we think that's what God has done in our lives. We think God just is saying, fend for yourself. You do, you do whatever you want. Remember, Troy said, no, God's gonna give us what we need, right? And God does more than that. He doesn't say, here's a field, you do. He says, I'm gonna feed you from my open hand and he bends down. And he, you, you can just picture, you know, caressing the horses or the ox head while, while, while um, it's being fed. This is the picture we have here. And, and notice, the yoke is not removed. He says, I made it, I made it, I loosened it. I made it lighter. This should remind you of a passage in Matthew. I think we have it on the screen, actually. Um, this is Matthew chapter 11. Father, son, imagery here. So verse 27, all things have been handed over, this is Jesus speaking. They've been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows the son except the father. This is how we know God. This is how we get to God. Jesus has revealed God to us. He's, he's the perfect image of God. And no one knows the father except the son, and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Do you feel like that this morning? Like you've been laboring? Like you're heavy laden? And I will give you rest. This is God calling us. This is the land. This is his presence. Take my yoke upon you. The yoke isn't removed, guys. He says, take mine instead. And learn from me, for I am gentle. We just saw that in this passage, right? Gentleness, kindness, and lowly. We saw the bending down. How amazing is this? And lowly in heart. Jesus knows the Bible. <laughs> and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a different yoke. Paul says, he says this two, three, four times in 1 Corinthians that you were bought with a price. You were bought at a price. And it's this, it's this marketplace mentality where you're buying things and, and even people back in that day, you're buying people. And, and, Jesus, and, and Jesus says, I bought you. I redeemed you. I took you from that master, not to complete and utter freedom, but to a new master. I took you from a yoke of burden to a yoke that is light and easy. I took you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to the prince of peace. And this passage in Hosea is, is giving us this, this same imagery. And in verse five, <clears throat> God says, they shall not return to the land of Egypt. They shall not return to Egyptian captivity and bondage. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. But <laughs> Assyria will be their king. They will have a new oppressor. Because they don't, they're, not, they're not running to God, remember? They're running away. Because they refuse to return to me. And there's, there's actually a play on words happening in this verse. So you see it says, they shall not return to the land of Egypt but they've refused to return to me. So it's like God is beckoning them this way and they're going the opposite direction. So it's like almost a tug of war 
and, and God is, God's in battle for our souls. He's in battle for Israel here. He's in battle for you. And he's trying to, to show you love and kindness and gentleness and, and compassion. And you're rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And he says, okay, this is what's going to happen then. Verse 6, death, destruction, sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates. The bars of their gates in, in uh, the Hebrew scriptures represents like boasting and pride. It was where the elders gathered, things like that. It was like, these are the bars of our gates and you can't you can, um, destroy them. But he says, no, they'll consume them. So reduce your boasting and your pride to shame and devour them because of, see that, that, that very important phrase? And devour them because of their own counsels. We, so this is, here, I'm gonna show you my Bible here. This, all this portion is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. This little tiny sliver here is, is the New Testament. Actually, some it's the concordance. That's, the, that's only the New Testament there. We spend all of our time here, right? We, we, we love this part. We don't, we don't spend a whole lot of time here. And it's because we think God is angry, he's cold, he's harsh. This is what our world thinks, this is what our city thinks. They think God is this vindictive, vicious, violent God. And that's because, look at the God of the Old Testament. What have we seen so far? We've seen actually the complete opposite of that. And this says, the sword is gonna come against them, destruction, death, they're gonna be consumed and devoured because of what? Because of their own counsels. Not because, not because God is vindictive and vicious and violent, but because they had life and death before them and they chose death. Because you have life and death before you every day and you choose death. And you know what choosing death looks like for us? It looks like uh, overreacting at work. It looks like tearing someone down behind their back. It looks like an unrepentant heart when you have a grudge with somebody and holding on to that grudge. It looks like you looking at porn and lusting after that instead of desiring God. It looks at you, it's like you putting all of your stake into a relationship besides the relationship, Jesus Christ. That's choosing death for us. We're choosing death constantly every day when life and death is set before us, Moses says. And he actually says it's easy to choose life. It's right there. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the spirit who lives inside you, like how much easier does it get to choose life? The spirit of God is in you. Like how much closer can he get? And we still choose death. And he says it's because they chose it. And we think, oh, God is punishing, punishing, punishing. But the whole in Hebrew scriptures is showing us the consequences of our own counsels the consequences of our own sin, the consequences of our own choices and actions and, and poor decisions. And, and the goal of, of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, is to show us the immensity of our depravity, of our sinful nature, and the immense chasm that exists because of that between us and God. And once you realize the immensity of your separation and sinfulness, 
before God, you're gonna experience God's grace and his goodness and realize the immensity of his grace and his goodness. But we can't grasp our own sinfulness. And all the while, we're pointing the finger at other people. This is what Israel's doing. They're like, oh, well, it's, it's them. It's, it's, you know, they're causing us to sin. We love to blame shift. We love to put it out. Uh, and all the while, we're, not, we're supposed to be looking in at us. And that's what the scriptures are, right? They're a, word to our, they're, they're a mirror to our hearts. They show us who we really are. And God's doing that here with the people of Israel. He's doing that here for us this morning. And he says in verse 7, My people are bent on turning away from me. And though they call out to the Most High, he shall not raise them up at all. That sounds pretty harsh right there. That God would say, my people are turning away from me, and though they repent, I'm not going to do anything about it. But that's not what it says. That's actually not what it says at all. And here's a rule of uh, interpretation, biblical interpretation from you. Because a lot of people, when they read this, and... When, when they read through this, they think God's, God's, to, God's talking about himself, that he's the most high, and he's not. So look here. Here's, here's the rule of interpretation. When you're reading through a passage, especially in a context like this, where we see that God is gentle, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's loving, he's pursuing us, and then we get to a passage like this where they turn to God, and he says, and he says no, and you're like, well, that, that's weird. If it goes against the character of God revealed in the passage, then you have the wrong interpretation. So you notice here, he says, the whole time God's been using first person, I, 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 my people, and he says, though they call out to the most high, he, third person, shall not raise them up. So who's God talking about? Well, who do you talk about in verse one and two? The Baals, the idols, and God says, you're, You've replaced the most, because God is called the most high in the Psalms, God the most high. You've replaced me, who's supposed to be the most high, with someone you're calling the most high. And that's the essence of an idol. You've taken what should be God in his place, and you've taken something and put it, and you and usurp God in his throne. You put it on the throne of God. And he says, guess what? He's not gonna do anything for you. He's not gonna raise you up. You can call out to him all you want. He's not gonna do it. And here's another thing, in, in, and we know this, that, that this isn't talking about God because we have a whole book in the Bible called Jonah where we have an evil city, a city that's completely and utterly wicked. That's how it's described. And Jonah the prophet goes in and he says, repent, you know, or I don't remember the whole message, but he says, like, basically repent, something else. And the people, they repent. And you know what God does? He doesn't say, oh, no, I'm not going to. He says, yes. I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to turn to me. And our understanding of God, this is where it comes in with you talking about God and how you talk to God. A lot of times our understanding of God is like this. It's crossed arms instead of like this open arms. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. 
And we view God as a father who's crossing his arms and pointing his finger at us. And that's not who God is. That's not, that's not the picture we have of God in the scriptures. God has open arms and he's waiting for us as choice. He's just waiting for us to come to him. And he says to them, guys, he's not gonna raise you up. That idol is just gonna push you down and hold you there until you die and until you're destroyed. And I wanna give you rest. And he goes on in verse eight, and God says, how can I give you up? And we see here like this very emotional response. He says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over? How can I make you like Adma? And how can I treat you like Zeboim? And these are cities that were basically suburbs of Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed in, in the uh, Old Testament. And they're mentioned along with Sodom and Gomorrah in the book of Deuteronomy. And he says, how can I make you like that? God knows that they deserve destruction, judgment, no mercy, that's what we deserve, right? Think about, think about your life. We deserve all those things. Before a holy and good God, there's no way we could do anything to, to repair that chasm. And we just deserve judgment and wrath and, and, and uh, no mercy. But God here says, how can I give you up? How can I do that? How can I hand you over? How can I destroy you? How can I make you and treat you like, like those cities? And he says, my heart recoils, it changes within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. These are very human terms here that, that God's using. My compassion grows warm and tender and my heart recoils or, or changes within me. This should remind us of Jesus when he's weeping over Jerusalem, right? His, he's just very compassionate. Uh, or when he's, when he's bef- uh, before the grave of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters are weeping and Jesus weeps along with them. And we see this compassionate picture of God. And he says, I will not execute my burning anger. Do you guys, do you guys catch that? When you talk to people about about the Bible, they say, oh, he's just an angry, vindictive God. It says right there, he says, I will not execute my burning anger. He's saying, yeah, guess what? I have the right to be angry. I'm angry at this sin. Wouldn't you be? Like, we're, like, just picture raising up a child and them spitting in your face and saying they don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. After you taught them to walk, after you... (laughs) If you have kids, you like wipe their butt for three years. <laughs> you do all this stuff you do for kids that you wouldn't do for anybody else. <laughs> and, and you're feeding them and they're spitting the food in your face and you think, you know, there's so much you do for kids and God is doing that for us. And imagine just completely, your kids completely rejecting you. And that's, that's what's happening here. So God, yeah, he has a right to be disappointed, sad, hurt, angry. But he says, I will not execute that anger against you. 
I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am, and Ephraim is a, is a type of Sodom and Gomorrah. He hasn't actually destroyed Ephraim. It's, it's that he's connecting the two here. For I am God and not man. God is not like you. We were made to be like him, but God is not like you. So stop talking about God to others like he's like you. He says, and we'll, we'll go into that more. For I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. That doesn't seem like the Old Testament God that a lot of us know. But the old, this isn't the only passage in the Old Testament that talks about God like this. The Old Testament is replete with passages like this. So how do we talk about God then? How do we talk about God to others? How do, we talk, how do you talk about God at work where you're not supposed to share the gospel or proselytize? How do you talk about God with your, your family and friends who, who you've shared the gospel with before but now it's awkward and uncomfortable? Uh, how do you talk to God when you don't feel like an evangelist or you don't feel equipped? I'm gonna give you three things this morning. So number one, we talk about him like we actually know him. How about, how about doing that? Oh, here's the, here's the key. You actually have to know God if you're gonna talk about him like this. Talk about him like we actually know him. If we're his children, if you're a follower of Jesus in here this morning, you're his child, he's taught you how to walk. Talk like he's that God, like he's that father, like you actually believe he's a good father, like you actually believe he's a loving father, like he's actually spoon-fed you or fed you from his hand. We talk about God like the most high, like, like they were talking about in that passage, like some distant deity. We talk about God like he's there and on high and he's transcendent, and yes, God is transcendent. He is, but he's very much personal, intimate, and, and imminent in your life. He's both of those things, okay? So how about just talking about God like he's your friend, like you know him, like he's your father, like you actually have a personal relationship with God. You guys have, a lot of you guys have heard me talk about my, my, my uh, earthly father, my, my dad, and a lot of you guys have met my dad, and uh, I love my dad, I'm proud to be his son. He is, he's personable, he's funny, he's intelligent, all the things that I am. <laughs> so, that got way too many laughs. Um, and he's just, he's just great to be around, he's fun. He's not without his flaws and faults, which unfortunately I inherited a lot of those too. Um, and, uh, and when you hear me talk about him, you know that I love my dad. You can probably surmise that I can actually talk to my dad about anything, and we do, we talk about anything. And what if you talked about the father that way? Like you actually talked about anything. Like he's personal, personable, he's loving, he's, he's there for you whenever you need him. He picks you up, he dusts you off, all those things. That would change the way you talk at work. So when you approach someone at work, you don't have like, oh, these are the four spiritual laws that I have to say, and it's like, no, hey, I was with God this weekend. Hey guys, like, I was, uh, I went to church yesterday, this is Monday morning, I went to church yesterday, and um, 
I just spent time with, with God in my father's house. That's how Jesus talks about God, right? His parents come looking for him, and he's like, where else would I be? He's like, I'm in my father's house. What if we actually talked about God that way? Uh, number two, we talk about all of him. Okay, I feel like God is sometimes this person in our lives that we don't want to share everything about because we're scared about what people might think about him. So we need, but we need to talk about God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, yes. We also need to talk about his holiness, his, his uh, judgment, his justice, his uh, wrath, all those things. Because if we don't talk about these things, actually, we don't understand what Jesus did for us. Jesus took a lot of that. We can't understand the mercy of God if we don't understand the judgment of God, and vice versa. So how about we talk about all of God with people? Let's just try that. Number three, last one. We talk about him like he's here. The passage in verse nine says that God says, I am in your midst. I'm here with you. Hey, um, this is random, but can you come up here? (laughs) So... Just prepare you, this is gonna be a little awkward. <laughs> As if it's not already. So, this, this is how we normally treat God. So, let's, let's grant it like he's here. But normally, no, no, don't hug me. <laughs> I know you want to, <laughs> but keep your hands off me. <laughs> For those of you listening online, my wife is up here with me. This is Missy, not Adam. <laughs> Although, Adam must hug me too all the time. So, this is God. I come to your house, I come to your workplace, and God is with me all the time, but you guys probably, you probably can't even see Missy right now, can you? Barely, and, and God's trying to peek out, you know. <laughs> uh, so, okay, you can sit back down. You don't have to stand here the rest. So, that's how, so picture that now. You have that image in your mind. This is God. And, I, and we go, and, and you go to somebody, and they're like, hey, who's that? I'm like, oh, that's my wife. Yeah, yeah, that's my wife. No, no, I love her. Yeah, yeah. No, she's, she's important to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. In fact, she's written me a big book of love letters to get to know her. And well, I don't read all of them. No, I just read... I haven't even read a full letter. Like, I just read a part of the letter here and a part of the letter there. And, well, no, I don't, I don't actually understand them. Like, some I understand, some I don't. Uh, oh, why don't I just ask her? Well, I don't, I only really talk to her. I talk to her sometimes. Yeah, and I go to her house sometimes to hang out. But, you know, I actually only talk to her when I really want something. You know, I actually only talk to her when I'm kind of frustrated. I think my life should be going this way, but it's not. So I, I go tell her, why isn't it going the way that, that I want it? And that's, that's when I normally talk to her. Is that your relationship with God? Is that how you treat God? Like he's just someone behind you. And you, you read some of his love letters. You open this up and you read a chapter here. And a chapter there, 
And then you wonder why you don't understand it. It's because you haven't read the whole thing. You haven't even read one whole letter and you're like, man, I don't know. Like, if you did that with a relationship, would someone actually think you know that person? There's no way they would think that. There's no way they would think you actually knew that person if you treated them that way. If they just stood behind you the whole time. But for most of us, we're blocking God from our lives. We're saying, yes, I follow Jesus, but he's actually behind us. How do you follow someone who's behind you? And we, he peeks out every now and then, and we say, go, go back, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> this is awkward, Jesus, like, they don't know you. They don't, they don't understand our relationship. And Jesus is like, just tell them. Talk about me like I'm here. Talk about me like you know me. Talk about me like I actually matter in your life. In the last couple of verses here, in verse 10 it says, those who know Jesus, those who know God, those who are his children, they will go after him. You will pursue Jesus if you know him. He won't just be standing behind you. And he will roar like a lion. I've heard a lion roar in person one time in my life. And it was, it was both the most majestic and awe-inspiring thing I've heard and the most jarring thing I've heard. And Missy and I were there together, and instead of running away from it, you hear a lion roar, we actually ran towards it. We were at a zoo. <laughs> so we knew he was gonna hunt after us, we knew he was gonna kill us. He was in a zoo enclosure. And we were so excited. Like, who's heard a lion roar before in real life? We're so excited, we're just, we're like giddy, we're like, this is so awesome. God says, when I roar, my children will come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt. So this is, birds is an, uh, an allusion to swiftness. They'll come running fast like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will return them to their rightful place, to their homes, to where they were always meant to be. You see, you're a sojourner. You're a traveler, and Jesus is saying, you're supposed to come back home. I'm trying to show you your home. And you read this, and if you know God, if you don't know God, you read this, and you're like, why would the children swiftly go to him roaring, trembling, in fear and in dread? If you're asking that question, it's because you don't know God like you should. What if his children come because they're excited and they're trembling with excitement? Can you picture that? God roaring in us, trembling with excitement. Yes, there's a fear and there's an awe, 
but it's majestic. It's awe-inspiring. It's exciting that he's roaring for us. And this whole passage has been leading up to the ultimate name drop. (laughs) Here we have Egypt, we have the Baals, we have the idols, we have Assyria, we have uh, all these kind of, we have Adma, Zeboim, these personifications of, of people that are drawing Israel away. And in verse 10 is the first time in this passage that he says, they shall go after the Lord. And whenever you see Lord written like that, well, it's not actually written in the right way here on the screen, written in all caps in your Bible. So you have Lord caps and then little caps. It means that that's the personal name of God. There's a relationship. This is from Exodus 3. This is God saying, I'm Yahweh. And so when he says here, they'll go after the Lord. He's saying, they'll go after Yahweh. They'll go after me personally. I'm there calling them. We have a personal relationship. And Yahweh means I am what I am. I will be what I will be. And Jesus in John 8, he's before the religious people. He's before the Pharisees. And they think they know God. And you may think you know who God is. This is who they were. They, they think they know God. And they look at Jesus and they say, you're nothing like what we expect of God. You're not the God that we know. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to reveal him to you. And they're, they're just pointing their finger and they're saying, you're not that guy. And you never will be. And they say, we're children of Abraham. He's more like God than you'll ever be. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He says, I'm Yahweh. I'm the Lord. I'm in your midst right now, and you don't recognize me. So many of us don't recognize God for who he says he is. And when you talk to him, when you talk to him about, when you talk to others about him, they can sense that. They know how you actually talk to God, that there's no relationship there. And when, and Jesus in that moment roars, and he says, that's me, I am what I am. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So trust in him this morning. Whether you consider yourself a father of Jesus or not, he's our only hope, guys. Trust in him this morning. Stop choosing death. Choose life. He wants to make your yoke easy and your burning light. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is beautiful, it is awe-inspiring, it is majestic, that throughout all the pages of scripture, you are roaring, and you're calling us to yourself, and you're showing us who you are. Take off the veil, the blinders, let us see you for who you are, give us eyes to hear, Uh, eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord Jesus.
thank you that in you, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Thank you that you've taught me how to walk and that you've fed me from your hand and that you just care for us so much. Show us how to show the world that in our city that. We ask in your name, Jesus, amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.